Welcome to the E-Success Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, your weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical world of Lean, Six Sigma, project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 208, we conclude this round of answers to Lean and Six Sigma related questions from Quora. If you're just tuning in for the first time, find all our back episodes on our podcast table of contents at esuccess-methods.com. If you like this episode, be sure to click the like link in the show notes. It's easy. Just tap our logo, click, and you're done. Tap, click, done. Here we go. Moving on. Uh, is it compulsory to use statistical tools when doing a Six Sigma Greenbelt project in business? This has to be the same person who asked the question before. I'd say so, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why? And the question is, why do I got to use statistics on the, my Greenbelt project? I don't, I don't know. I'll let you answer this. Looks like I've been talking for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it actually does depend. And it depends on your coach and your certifying body. I've, I've, I've certified plenty who do not use statistics in their uh, Greenbelt projects. They can use some of the other tools, which are, Equally analytical, but sometimes you don't actually have very good data sets for uh, meaningful statistics, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't have a problem that really requires uh, meaningful statistics in that in that manner. So, and it all depends on what you're calling a st- statistics. So sometimes a Pareto chart is it is statistics, and looking at bar graphs is statistics. But most people think when they think statistics in this manner they're talking more high level statistics with hypothesis testing so if i'm saying what i'm saying here is you probably don't need hypothesis testing but sometimes you'll get that one coach that really wants you to agreed next question if i think about it and this is a tricky question i don't even know if think i don't think i know the answer so i'll ask it so you can answer Adam. What is the difference between average and proportion defective? Yeah, and this is actually difficult. I think that average average is an, is a common term which is used to describe a lot of a lot of different things. So average is often used as a just call it typical. And sometimes when you're using the word average, you actually mean proportion. So you're saying the average defective rate or sometimes we'll say the average percent defective is this. And and it's kind of the same thing as saying the proportion defective yeah, is this yeah. or the typical proportion defective is this. Yeah. I mean, I, you, I, I would say in the simplest way I'm thinking about this, if I ask a plain question, an average is more a number and my eyes proportion becomes more like a percentage number. Yeah, and that and I would, that's, that's the next part. It's like sometimes we're talking about account being the average, whereas... Uh, proportion is the percentage with you know based off of the numbers you started with right yep how this many this one's got to be for you <laughs> how many level of sigma is nasa let's let's um let's do these next two together cuz i think they kind of yeah. in my mind they go together yeah and uh, i guess the next one is how do they ensure airplanes operate better than the six sigma threshold <laughs> i don't I don't know how they ensure that, but I, I better want them to be operating better <laughs> than six sigma threshold. Uh, I don't know how many. <laughs> this one stuck out because I did my 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 first black belt training in the aerospace, 
And there, an aha moment for me was when I was in there, and we think think about a, a jet engine. We made jet engines. Jet engine had probably 500,000 individual parts on it. And when they went through the activity of rolled throughput yield and they had everybody guess what the typical yield was for a jet engine. What do you think your yields are? are I would say 20%. 20%? I think I guessed something like 50 or 40. And in actuality, it's zero. And this is... um, and, And that's... So basically... By how the process uh, is structured. <laughs> well, no, but well, by by the documented specifications. Yeah, there's always at least one thing on an engine. One component could be a bolt, could be a paint chip. There's always at least one component that is not to specification. That is a little out of specification. So putting these things together, now that shouldn't make you scared because putting these two things together, so I'll say, what is the sigma level of NASA? The sigma level of NASA is, is, is probably negative one. But because, like the second question, how does it operate at a greater than six sigma threshold? Because the specifications are so far away from what would be a actual functional failure, um, that, uh, um, anything that is quote out of spec, but is still on the engine is still perfectly good. It's just a little bit far from perfect. No, that's a good point. Yeah. So these things, these things are, you know, operate, these things are put through so much testing and reliability testing, which is something well beyond what is taught in, in six Sigma. And that's really, if you really want to talk about this, uh, this kind of industry, you're probably going to want to start talking about the reliability of um, of equipment under different uh, loading parameters, uh, and that's probably something you should check out there. They, I did an episode on reliability, and there's a a great resource for reliability. Um, so go to Ascendo Reliability and check out their podcast for more information on that. Cool. Ken, so oh, this one's for you. Totally. <laughs> Because I don't know. <laughs> can Six Sigma apply on stock market? Uh, I, can, I can answer this question in so many different ways. And I guess the first and foremost question is, can I accurately predict the output of how the stock market's going to perform based on a whole bunch of inputs? Uh, can I make a shit ton of money? Yes. <laughs> by no. applying Six Sigma? Uh, yes. And uh, I... The answer may be yes. I don't think anybody has figured the the exact inputs on what drives or triggers the stock market. Everybody mm-hmm. everybody claims, or the so-called pundits or experts claim to know what it is, but I don't necessarily think that that's been proven because I don't think any one person does that. Maybe the only no, pers- maybe the only one person I know of who's done really well is Warren Buffett. So unless we pick his brain, I really don't know how else it works. The pundits are driving the stock market. It could be. So I mean, that's yeah, they are. <laughs> they say they say something's good, then everybody buys it, <laughs> and all of a sudden it's good. <laughs> so I mean, between the pundits, between the president, between a whole bunch of all those different things, there's a whole bunch of different factors and how these all factors interact with each other and all those things. It would be great, great six sigma study 
except I don't think we can get to a conclusive result. That's my point. Now, okay. with respect to, you know, is this something that is in the range for me to buy? Is it a good time for me buying this or me selling this? You know, I can think of control charts or things of that sort to kind of help me recognize, you know, is this in the good range? Uh, but mm. again, um, you know, the the factors that are prompting it to go in one direction or the other, unless you have, if you're just looking at the control chart and deciding whether you should buy it or not, that'd be a foolish thing to do. This is where, again, we always say, don't just look at a chart and make a decision just off of that without having the context. So mm -hmm. uh, I think, yes, it can be very informative um, and it might help guide you some of the thinkings that you have or maybe validate some of the assumptions that you have using the data. Um, that's how I think about it. Yeah, I, I think the bottom line is whether you have statistics on it and you're looking at patterns, you are still gambling and there are things going on that could completely change the direction that you don't know about. Yep. It could be competition. There's so many factors. Yeah. So I don't know if you can put in all the combinations. And if you're really trying to do a study, I don't think you can go back in history and understand what was happening at that point of time for that particular combination also. so And, and if, if you're just a day trader, chances are, or just like a regular person doing online trading like I was doing last week, chances are other people are getting that information far earlier than you so you will be last to respond <laughs> so it kind of doesn't matter you're going to you're going to make more money if you uh, invest in ai than you will if investing in six sigma possibly. in the stock market possibly all right this one's hard mhm mm why does kaizen well i don't even know what this is but <laughs> kaizen sigma 6 sucks so bad for frontline trench employees it's because they did it wrong. That's why. Uh, it's because they did it wrong. It's because they're doing it for the wrong reasons and probably a combination of uh, they, they, really were, they really were making it more complicated for the frontline employees than it needed to be. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know um, how much further to read in this, but if, uh, if the output of your program, whether it be a Kaizen or Six Sigma, if it doesn't make the life better for frontline employees, uh, it's not really going to do anything good for the company. It's going to be it's going to be a dying program. Yep. And it almost sounds like you know this one is reminding me that as as a result of successful Six Sigma projects, frontline employees are getting laid off. Yeah, it's going to suck for them, isn't it? Yeah, I mean you know, and that, that's. That's the sad thing of how or how many of the programs were structured, right? It was always, it comes down to the same point we talked earlier. Uh, it always comes down to, is it saving the cost that I need? And usually the the costs that are first eliminated in many cases are the frontline employees because that's the direct cost that everybody sees. Right. So, and it, it, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's always a frontline employee. Sometimes it's the middle managers also. But uh, between the frontline employees and the supervisors, that's who usually gets the hit first. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's a, actually quite the bad practice because mm -hmm. the frontline employees—they're the least paid, but they're actually the most critical when it comes to knowing um, what it is, <laughs> knowing, knowing what work, <laughs> knowing what to do, and they're the only ones who do something that the customer cares about. Exactly. So. <laughs> you know, it's a real inverse relationship. There. Yep. 
You are listening to E6S Methods Podcast, brought to you by E6S Industries. Join us on our website at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. Are you tired of hearing our commercials? Wouldn't you rather hear your own? Buy a one-minute spot to reach hundreds of listeners each week on Stitcher Radio and iTunes. Showcase your product, market your service, or maybe even reach out to a potential employer in a truly creative and unique way. Contact us through our website for more details, www.esuccess-methods.com. Journey through success. Okay. Um... I do not have a college degree. I have a lot of experience in account management. Would obtaining a Six Sigma Green Belt help me further my career? When I'm thinking account management, I'm thinking sales. So I am as well. And I'm thinking, so that's usually relationship management. Maybe it's inside uh, sales. Maybe it's just somebody who is um, making sure that the customer is happy. They may not necessarily be going after sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen, I've seen this definition a couple different ways. Some of them is, 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 uh, they are going after sales and, but they're also interfacing always the external facing person with the customer. But I've also had that be also said it could just be a calling center. And one person is, you know, typically given the same, uh, customer, mm-hmm. but anyway, it's still on the, on the sales side. Uh, I, I mean, anytime I would say yes. I think learning something is always very helpful, being able to analyze uh, data information that can help you make a better decision. The answer is yes, uh, I, in my view. Now, the depths of it, the, the you know, do you have to go pay for that training to get you there, to get you certified? I, I'm not a believer in the certifications, uh, but... I think the knowledge is always going to be helpful. That's my thoughts. Yeah, I'm I'm there. I'm there with you on the knowledge. I said, is is it helpful? The knowledge is helpful pretty much no matter where you are, especially if you're in an organization that speaks the same language. What will it do for you as an account manager? I don't know. You know, it depends on, it, will it further your career? It, it could help, but... I don't expect somebody to look at you and say, wow, an account manager with a green belt would really need that one. Um, that's, there may have been a time when that level of branding would have, would have, uh, set you aside, set you apart, but there's so many green belts out there now. Um, and it kind of doesn't matter what part of the organization you ever worked in. Sometimes it's just a, a nice to have. There's, there's, there's not really, I don't know. I don't see that as a huge differentiator, um, especially in that part of the business. Yeah. But the skills are good. So it's it's hard for me to say, you know. I would agree. Skills are good. The branding, eh. Some, a lot of companies just don't care about, about that as much. Which is also weird, though, because sometimes I've seen, I've seen a lot of postings out there that are asking for a lot of serious skill sets but they only care if you're certified to the level of green belt, which I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I find perplexing, but yep, yep. can you manage a hospital with agile methodology and what are the best books to read for it? 
I just curious as to what your opinion on that. You're pretty astute with agile. Um, I, I, I know you haven't worked on it in a hospital, but what are your thoughts? Can I do it in a hospital? I mean, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it is management. Let me think about this. I guess depending on what section. Yeah, I, I actually think it is because, you know, one of the things, one of the, you know, Agile is not always all just about Scrum. You know, there's there's a tool which we are very familiar with Lean and Six Sigma called as Kanban, um, which is literally flowing things in and out. And, you know, Lean is definitely the the principle behind that. And that is definitely something any and every healthcare needs to do uh, to improve quality and to improve things. So if I think of it from purely a Kanban point of view, absolutely, yes. Um, and you know, the, the continuous improvement part is what the retrospective would bring to the activity, be it at end of day, end of week, end of shift. I don't know how you would do that, but I can see it being applicable, um, for managing your work and for prioritizing what's the most important thing that we as a team do. I, I would almost think the ER in every hospital operates in some sort of an agile-ish fashion, um, you know, tending to the most critical thing at the highest priority first and then. Uh, driving through that uh, process throughout the day. So uh, whether you call it lean, whether you call it agile, um, I think they're one and the same uh, at, at that level or that scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking the ER it almost epitomizes, you know, self-forming teams and having to delegate important yep. uh, decisions right down to the whoever is in front of the patient right there. So exactly. it's... it's um, yeah, I mean, if you had to wait and to talk to the boss for every single decision, mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately the doctor is the one who decides. But um, there's quite a bit of of uh, autonomy that has to happen in in an emergency situation. Absolutely, yeah. There's just no time. Yep. Cool. Uh, how many hours a day should a product owner spend in meetings? I'm going to assume product owner in the agile sense. Yeah, I'm going to think of it the same way. Uh I would say none. I'm oh, just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it depends on the team. It depends on the organization. I would do say. We, so we should we specify meetings with whom? Irrespective, uh, I would say no more than fifty percent, because they should be available for the team. At some point, they should be doing their job, which is prioritizing what the team needs to be doing, thinking of the strategy and the roadmap, okay. and all those activities. If they are spending more than 50% of their time, that means they're not able to dedicate uh, time appropriate for these activities. Now, again, depending on scenario, depending on situation, it could be a plus or minus thing. But I would say as a rule of thumb, I would probably say if you're spending more than 50% of your time in meetings, you're probably not doing justice to other things. So should the product owner be a, a servant to and making sure that they're always available um, for the the ceremonies and the product release showings and and stuff like that and and uh, like should that be their number one priority? Not necessarily for that. I would say it's more of if the team if the team feels stumped that hey, we have multiple ways on how we can solve for this or hey this is going to take you know we thought this was going to take us a day to do it but it's going to take us ten days. Mm-hmm. Is this still important for us to be spending 10 days or not? Or do you have something else that's probably going to give us more bang for the buck? And mm-hmm. if that's the case, would you want us to do that? Uh, that sort of decision-making is usually reserved for the product owner. 
and them being available for the team around when that point of discussion, you know, debate arises or if they're available to have that discussion with them, that'd be very helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Beyond that, I think primarily of their role is understanding the voice of the customer or understanding the details. In many cases, they are expected to do the analysis on here's where my product is performing or here's the areas where my product is doing well and here's sections they're not. So how and I can I, how and I, how can we get better? Now, if in their team, they have a data analytic person or somebody else, maybe they're, that's a task that they've delegated to them. Uh, but most of the teams don't have that luxury. So the product owner usually ends up playing that role. So where might the product owner end up getting a bit stuck um, where they shouldn't be? What's like the quicksand for product product owners? Uh, I would say the quicksand becomes when they don't have a vision or a clarity on what they're targeting and they're just going around asking everybody, what do you want from me or what do you want from my team? Mm-hmm. That's when they can they can get information from so many different angles and then get lost in the in the in the ability to prioritize. Okay. That's my experience. I'm sure there are other other areas around. Mm-hmm. But that's what I've seen. Okay. All right, and the last one is a little weird. Um or at least I thought it was weird, so maybe maybe it's not weird to you. What are the best books on waterfall startup development methodology? On waterfalls startup development methodology. So when I looked at this, I was like, hopefully none, because this is not how you want to do a startup. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, (laughs) the lean startup is a book, uh, which is touted very well. A lot of people reference that. Um, That's basically talking about, you know, some of the principles of agile, they call it the build, measure, learn cycle. You can call it the PDCA cycle if you're purely a lean person, but it's basically telling you that um, I have not heard of a waterfall startup, like a textbook or a or a right. book that says that. And I'm sure then you know if you're probably looking at things 25, 30 years ago, uh, there might be books that encourage on product development or things of that sort from those days. Mm-hmm. But I would say anything in today's time, you're probably not going to see that. Yeah, waterfall is a derogatory term these days. People people use it as an insult. <laughs> you know, but there are many cases where that is the best way of doing a project. Like I would always say a construction project or mm. building a highway or something is probably more tuned. I mean, the execution of it is probably more geared, is probably more helpful if you go agile. But reality is the planning phase and all the activities Waterfall is probably best for it. Uh, least, or, or maybe I haven't seen it done otherwise, so maybe I could be biased. And couldn't, couldn't quite envision yeah. Yeah, how it would be done otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. So, You know, I tried envisioning how to do like agile development for a, a house, right? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, it would start with, well, I need a place to live. Give me a trailer. Then start building a room off the trailer or off the shack. Yep. Um, uh, rather than me waiting for an entirely completed sure. house to be built. Yep. Um, again, uh, but in that, if you really think about it, how many how many finished structures that had to be deconstructed before I got my final structure, you know, um, we're talking double to triple the cost just so I had a place to live right there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, you're absolutely right, right? And then it's deconstructed might be 
they constructed completely to the ground before I can go up might mm. be even the more critical part because if you are building or if you don't necessarily plan what you're going to build and if you're leaving it up in the air, then chances are your foundation is not going to be able to support any of this. So you have to go dig the ground every time you're, mm. you're trying to expand. So in some cases, it just does not make sense. Um, so I think that's where, and again, you know, the, the piece where I, you know, people always say is I want to be flexible. I want to do it. Agile does not mean you don't have a plan, right? Agile means that you have a direction and you are going to probably change course or change direction based on feedback you're getting. So mm-hmm. yes, you wanted a four bedroom house and you wanted it laid out in a ranch style, but then once you started getting two rooms in the house, you realize maybe ranch style is not what's best for me. I might need to go two story or three story. So uh, that's when you start realizing, okay, um, I might have to alter my plans and can this, can, can I be flexible enough to adjust for that? I like that. Good analogy. I think that's a good place to stop. All right. All right. It's been a pleasure talking to you again, Jacob. And, Same, Aaron. Um, Good to good to get things warming up again, and hopefully we'll get into some more. Uh, hopefully, we can do this on a regular uh, cadence again, on, on a more consistent basis. Yes, sir. <laughs> Let's look at it that way. Well, not consistently once every six months. Got uh, it. More frequent, <laughs> consistent basis. There you go. <laughs> All right, Adam. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to episode two hundred and eight of the E Success Methods podcast. Stay tuned for episode 209 for our introduction to statistical process control. Don't forget to click like or dislike for this episode in the show notes. Tap click done. If you have a question, comment, or advice, leave a note in the comment section or contact us directly. Feel free to email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at e6s-methods.com or on our website. We reply to all messages. If you heard something you like, then share us with a friend or leave a review. Didn't like what you heard? Join our LinkedIn group and tell us why. Don't forget, you can find notes and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. If you're not climbing up, you're falling down.